This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show. And I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. And in this surprise round, we're having adventures in space as we discuss Spelljammer. Nice. And also with us in this episode is the Dice Monkey. That's right. Two surprise rounds in a row after a long, long hiatus. It is Mark Meredith. Welcome back, sir. Hello. Glad to be back. So in this episode, we're going to be discussing the box set of 5e books, which collected together are called Spelljammer Adventures in Space. It's made of three books and a DM screen. The individual books are titled Astral Adventures Guide, Boo's Astral Menagerie, and an adventure called Light of Xerixis. That's the pronunciation we're going to go with. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> our pronunciation guru is not here. Um, so as a reminder, in surprise round episodes, we get our first impressions of a book out very quickly after a book, or in this case, several books, is released. Sometimes before, with the understanding that we probably haven't done a deep read-through and we probably haven't played it. And then, if needed, we'll revisit the book later after it's been out for a while and have a chance to dig in deeper. Uh, before we do dig into it, though, I want to remind folks that if you want to support the show, you can be a patron over at patreon.com slash show. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the show and help me pay the bills that make keep the, the show going. Now, on to Spelljammer, Adventures in Space. Uh, full disclosure, I do believe, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know Tracy and I are working from review copies. Yes, I am too. I know you got yours a little bit later, so I wasn't sure if it was a review copy or if your store just was selling a little early. No, yeah, I got the review copy. They always end up coming a few days later than everybody else, so I feel like once everybody's already been through them and talking about them on Twitter, then I get mine. So, Which, Which is weird because of all the people we work with to do these surprise rounds, you're probably the closest physically to Wizards of the Coast office. Except that it comes from Texas well, from there. Yes, sure. <laughs> so that's why, like, I think everybody just gets theirs because they're closer to Texas and I'm sure. pretty far away. Yeah. Okay. So we are talking about this box set, uh, Belljammer Adventures in Space, um, which is a collection of three books and a DM screen. I did a, a little bit um, on Twitter after I got it, a few days after I got it. I happened to own a bunch of old second edition Spelljammer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did kind of a, a quick, like, what can I do in an hour comparison? Flipping through some of the books, looking at, I have some of the old cards. They, they used to print off uh, eight and a half mm-hmm. by 11 cardstock cards with the ships on them and the the diagrams and the art for them and all that kind of stuff so i was i was posting comparisons between what was the little stand-ups as well do you have those i don't have the stand-ups no i've got those because i've got the box set and then a couple other things um that i had gotten from my dad because he's like old old school right on yeah, no, I, I, this was all secondhand to me. What, what, this goes back to my deep uh, D&D history. Um, way back in the day, I had a bunch of magic cards. In fact, I started buying magic cards when it was in beta. So I had a bunch of beta cards, which are you know now super valuable, right? Um, mm. But I was kind of losing interest in playing a game where the primary way to win was spend more money than your opponent. 
Um, yeah. And so I was losing interest in magic, but my buddy who had gotten me into D&D was kind of losing interest in D&D. And so he he uh, suggested a trade. I give him my box of magic cards and he gives me all of his D&D books, um, which probably wasn't a financially wise decision in the long run. But I think I got I, I think I came out on top of that because D&D has brought me lots of joy that magic never did ever since. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's where that's where I got my Spelljammer stuff. Uh, and so it's several products. It's several books, I'm pretty sure. Um, but none of it was in the box anymore. They were just keeping all their D&D stuff in like a trunk loose. Uh, so it's all kind of a beat up mess. Um, so, yeah, that's why mine's not in the box. And I don't know what I have or what was supposed to be in it or not. So Yeah. So th- um, this is probably a good time to make sure everyone knows exactly our any previous experience we've had. So you've had that previous experience. Sounds like Mark, you've also had stuff. I am brand new to Spelljammer, right? Cause it didn't come out for 4E and I don't have the old edition stuff. So this is my first introduction to reading something other than maybe a comic that has the spell, any Spelljammer stuff in it. Yep. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, my, like with ahead. my dad's stuff, I just like popped open the box and flipped <laughs> through it. And I know that it takes place in the astral sea. So this also was, like okay. I, I've seen a little bit more than you, but not really delved in at all into it. Okay, awesome. Well, I might quibble with with some of what you said there, because um, I don't think originally it happened on the astral sea. Um, I think original oh, Spelljammer happened. So in original Spelljammer, each individual like planetary system. So for those who are who aren't keeping up, uh, Spelljammer is D and D in space. Right, you you that you get on a ship, like sometimes a literal like sailing ship, and stick this magic item called a helm, a spell jamming helm on it, and then it suddenly can take off and fly around in space. Um, in the original conception of Spelljammer, each sort of system of planets was in what was called a crystal sphere, uh, and getting out of the crystal sphere required the use of certain spells or magic items to get out of the crystal sphere. But there were usually a few planets within the crystal sphere, so you could kind of run around an adventure without ever leaving the crystal sphere. Um, but they did that intentionally so that, like, it wasn't like you could travel from uh, Toril and the Forgotten Realms to Kryn and Dragonlance, but it wasn't super easy, right? That's why you, you don't see a lot of people doing it in the novels and whatever, because it's not easy. You got to get a ship and then you got to fly to the edge of the crystal sphere, then you got to use a cast a spell. But then you don't go into the Astral Sea. You go into what they just called the Phlogiston. Uh, and that's, that was sort of the wild space in between the crystal spheres. Gotcha. The, the Astral Sea piece is, so far as I know, uh, a new way of handling it for 5e. Um, it's, it's one of those things that is a little bit, like, I don't know. Like, on one hand... Like if we go back, there there has been a long running joke in, in since fifth edition came out on the on the internet about Spelljammer coming out, right? Because um, it's always sort of been this laughable, sort of silly second edition setting. You know, it's hippo people and and spider people and and whatever flying around in space doing space D and D stuff, and it was always kind of weird and. It, it never seemed as popular to me as Planescape and, and you know, which is a much um, more expedient way generally of getting from one location to another and, and you know, whatever. Um, so Spelljammer is always kind of the one of the more jokey settings that came out 
uh, back in the second edition days. Uh, and it never really felt like it was taken super seriously. Um, and so there was a lot of joking in, in 5e for a long time of, oh, are you going to do Spelljammer? Ha ha ha, with sort of a wink and a nudge. And then they're like, you know, this has become a big enough sort of viral thing on the internet. Let's see if we can actually make Spelljammer and make it good. But but like not shy away from the kitsch of the weirdness mm-hmm. yeah. that, that is Spelljammer. So that's that's sort of – and so there's a, there's a part of me that's like they're trying to lean into the kitschiness and the nostalgia of old school Spelljammer. So that part of me is like, well, I kind of miss the Crystal Spheres and the Phlogiston. And like the Crystal Spheres were also like the explanation as to why there were stars in the sky. It wasn't distant planets. It was things stuck in the Crystal Sphere that are sparkling. Uh, you know, and that's why, why there's so many stars and what have you. Um, so, so there's part of me that misses, that thinks it's a mistake to, to shy away from that kitsch. But at the same time, like the astral sea also makes a ton of sense. <laughs> like that also explains why there are stars in the sky and adding barriers. Like it's really hard to get to and then travel through the phlogiston, um, creates a barrier for doing one of the things that makes Spelljammer cool, which is sailing around to different planets. So, so I kind of don't hate switching it to the astral sea, but there's also the part of me that's like, yeah, but if you're trying to add the kitsch of the old version, um, you're ditching some of that, right? No, no, but I, I guess it's probably still better than the mycelial network. I, mean, I, I don't hate the mycelial network. I don't. I don't hate it either. I just like we have everything but that. It feels like in this version. Oh. Mm. Right. And um, with and also with the astral sea, or that didn't even come about until fourth edition. Either. Well, I mean, because yes before that was the astral plane. Right. I was going to say yes or no. <laughs> operated right. a bit differently than the astral sea. So by incorporating that into um, to fifth edition. It made sense now that you've got ships traveling on the sea. Mm-hmm. So I think that also sort of lent itself towards making it set in the Astral Sea as well. Yeah, there's a narrative consistency in the nom- nomenclature, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I get that. It is, I don't know, it does feel a little weird to me that they're saying that the Astral Sea... And the prime material planes sort of overlap and exist simultaneously as you're traveling from planet to planet. Um, mm-hmm. That that feels a little. As somebody who 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 likes the planes and has spent a lot of time playing and, and studying uh, planescape, that feels weird to me. Like the astral, and even the astral sea later on overlapped with the prime material plane. Always did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but existing simultaneously then makes weird things happen with the conception of the planes and some spells, you know, and what have you. Well, and being able to do the astral projection, you've now got a silver thread that's now taking you to another physical place. Right. Because the astral sea is now a physical place. This means right. Instead of being this separate dimension entirely. So yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure what I feel, how I feel about using the Astral Sea. Um, and I don't know. Again, this is an initial impressions and I haven't done a deep dive into it. But my first impression is I might just 
gloss over that part and not not make it the astral sea. And you know, you're just in space. It's just space, and that's fine. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why it needs to be the astral sea and why it can't just be space more or less the way space exists right now. Yeah. Yeah, and they they also introduce from from what I've heard about um, previous Spelljammer that you could just breathe in the Flostagon. Is that true? Well, so or did they have the air bubbles like they do? They do had now? the air bubbles. Uh, it was actually oh, okay. one of the things I really liked that they kept. It's one of the things I, I even showed the old second edition diagram where they show the gravity plane and the and the air bubble and how it forms. Yeah. And then I compared it to the one that's in this book. Uh, mm. And there, I mean, it's obviously cleaned up and, and prettier and it's in color and whatever, but it's basically the exact same diagram. Yeah. I liked how they describe if you get knocked off your ship uh-huh. and you hit the plane, then you sort of like bob right. up and down between the two gravities until you drift outside of the bubble and end up then cast out into the astral sea. Right. I've I've always um I've always worked under the assumption that if you if you leapt off with enough force you could put you could set yourself in orbit around your own ship because of the gravity plane. Yeah, yeah. So well, but then the question arises um when in the astral sea, like for me, the astral sea since I was playing in 4th edition always had oxygen so that allowing the characters to sort of like mm-hmm. drift through space and stuff. So I, I'll probably just keep that. But as far as gravity goes, they say in the Astral Sea, you set your own gravity. Right. So you should be able to get back to your ship. It's just you're going to be falling at full speed towards it. Yeah, once you decide that, that that way towards the ship is where the gravity goes. I don't know how things evolved over the last several editions, but I can remember distinctly from back in second edition that your speed in the Astral Plane was based on your, I think it was your wisdom score. Um, because you were you were you know using your, using your, your mind, mind to, to yeah. force yourself to move. So, uh, so it is three books. Uh, we I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Spelljammer was, and I think we've been doing that. Um, but I I think we've actually ended up talking about the first of the three books I wanted to talk about, which is the the Astral Adventurer's Guide. Um, so. Um, that works out that we're talking about it already, but I wanted to let people know that's basically the the origins of everything that we've been discussing so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else worth discussing, though, in the question of what what exactly is Spelljammer? I mean, it's D&D, it's in space. There's well, because it's in the Astral Sea, it means that you can access like the homes of the gods. Mm-hmm. That are in there. So that can make for some interesting adventures as well. That you can just travel, kind of like Thor traveling to um, that home of the gods in the in the newest Thor movie. Like you can like go and visit the gods. You can go and visit Asgard such as it is, you know. Which I think is a really interesting like and there's a been a long bit of lore in the astral plane and the astral sea of these like uh, like color pools um, that exist sort of out there in the astral that are basically just portals to other other planes anyway. So once you're sailing around in the astral sea, at this point, you now suddenly have access to a lot of stuff in theory if you mm-hmm. can find those specific pools. Yeah. And with the ships, so they have the helms. Helm is not a hat or anything. It's a chair. 
mm-hmm. that you sit in that yeah. is you can attune to to move the ship and um not everyone is capable of of taking on that position so um if you don't have the right person uh in your party you might need to hire out or find someone who can uh, steer the ship yeah mm-hmm. as I, I yeah that threw me off for a second too because at first i was imagining it like a sort of cerebro helm <laughs> and then it was like oh no it's it's the actual like helm of a ship okay i say i say aren't, aren't you a sailor shouldn't you be, be familiar with the helms of ships yeah, but the helm is like a, a location on the ship on modern ships. Sure. So, yeah, it's definitely like a, a spaceship thing rather than yeah. a. I think, a sp- and a lot of the description, some of the descriptions of some of the helms definitely evoke more uh, like Star Trek uh, than other things I've heard. Yeah, particularly when they start talking about swivel chairs and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, well, and theoretically. <clears throat> A helm could be removed from a ship and put on a different ship too, and then used to. Yes, and it often, it often becomes treasure itself. That, mm-hmm. like you're saying, it can move from ship to ship, and it's something you might collect. And if you time. steal it from somebody else's ship, then that leaves their ship completely drifting because they have no way of controlling their ship now. It's 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 like when the Enterprise had to eject the warp core, and now they're just adrift in space. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, and some ships are living and some aren't mm-hmm. is uh, another thing to, to know. And also, uh, I think the main inspiration they talk about, was it Flash? Uh, the comics, am I it's remembering like correctly? Flash Gordon or? I think that's what they said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the main thing that they say is inspiration. Mm. Uh, but obviously Star Trek can be a great one. And then even, um, uh, Jules Vernon, the Twenty Thousand Weeks Under the Sea, and Daughters of the Deep that we read recently right. for book club. That type of stuff can also be inspiration for some of these stories. Absolutely, and I think yeah. there's there's a lot of they, they introduce. So this Spelljammer introduced a lot of new weird things to D anD D as well. Um, the GIF originally, so those are the hippo people that in fifth edition were introduced in. Was it uh, uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes? Maybe um, they were introduced in an earlier book, and that was one of the many uh, causes of the the, the Spelljammer confirmed uh, sort of viral yeah. meme that that went around. Is they kept sneaking little Spelljammer things in there because they were fun. Right? Gift for giant hippo people that, to my mind. Uh, are very reminiscent of sort of um, colonial Britain uh, and and all the hippos kind of speak with a colonial British accent and they eschew magic and so they run around with, with firearms and but they're all, of course, D&D firearms or blunderbusses and what have you, which then just really ramps up the colonial Britain feel to me. Um, you know, but then they also introduce the Neoji, which are these weird spider creatures, and they make beholders, not this weird aberrant thing, but this, like, race of people that fly around from the, amongst the stars, and have their own style of ships. Um, uh, so, and that, that's been a common thing for a long time in Spell, that Spelljammer did, is it introduced a lot of new, weird things. Uh, in the same way Planescape did in 2nd edition as well. Planescape introduced a lot of weird new things, but they were very different, right? For Spelljammer, it was like, we're weird and new because 
it's all these planets from around the the prime material planes coming together. Uh, but Planescape was very inspired by here's weird new things because you're going to different planes of existence, you know. And so it, the weirdness always felt significantly different to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anything else that sort of helps summarize what Spelljammer is? I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, yeah. Now, oh, go ahead. I was going to say Boo. So, so interestingly, <laughs> um, Boo is a newer addition to Spelljammer lore. I don't think Boo was ever mentioned in terms of Spelljammer um, in second edition other than in the Baldur's Gate video game when uh, Minsk insisted that Boo was a miniature giant space hamster. Uh, and and thus, if he is a space hamster, that ties to to Spelljammer. And um, I guess the fact that there are giant space hamsters in Boo's astral menagerie um, now in 5th edition, I guess is final definitive confirmation that Minsk isn't just crazy. That Boo actually is a miniature giant space hamster. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so Boo's a thing. Um, there was something else. Oh, if you've looked at the Baldur's Gate 3, uh, at least that early trailer, um, I haven't managed to play it, but um, there's early um, footage of, of Mind Flayers running around on their, mm. their Nautiloid Spelljammers. Um, do they talk? Um, the two of you have almost certainly done a deeper read than I have. Do they talk about where the name Spelljammer came from? Not that I recall. Just that, like a Spelljammer is the the pilot of the ship. Right. So the in the in second edition in the second edition books they they reference the legendary Spelljammer, the original ship that travels the stars, that is this sort of epic, legendary, super powerful, um, you know, artifact level spaceship that flies around across the D&D world. And that, and that ship is called the Spelljammer, that all of the other ships, the magic was sort of modeled after copying what this thing was already doing. Um, and they, so they reference that fairly regularly in the second edition books. And I wasn't sure if the, the Spelljammer, uh, made a reference in the the fifth edition books or not? I can't say it, it never did, but I didn't see it. I remember it. Yeah. Uh, Gremdel, uh in the chat watching the stream here is asking: um, As a spelljammer DM, how do you get the weirdness across to the players? Other settings seem to have. Uh, very similar sort of references, right? D and D settings or D and D settings, and so there's some common touch points. Uh, Spelljammer, however, brings in a lot of new and uniqueness. Um, and I think I don't know. I have done very little with Spelljammer as a DM. Honestly, I've done very little with Spelljammer as a player. It, it happened a few times on accident, uh, like a magical mishap happened, and I ended up being teleported to another it was supposed to be like another plane of existence but the dm was like hey this will be fun let's do some spell general you ended up on the rock of brawl now you got to figure out how to get home you know um that kind of stuff and so that was like one of those were my amongst my few experiences actually playing spell jammer 
Um, but I feel like Spelljammer is set up in such a way that you can emphasize the things that are in these books too, and that highlights the weirdness. The fact that you are running into an armada of of cannon wielding hippo people um, mm. is the uni- uniqueness of Spelljammer. Yeah. And I think if you start off, because like the the adventure itself starts off at like fourth level, I think. So if you start off a campaign with more mundane stuff, mm-hmm. and then you introduce the Spelljammer setting, that's where you get the weirdness across right. to the players, because they've seen the mundane, and now it's like, here's all the weird stuff going on. Yeah, and I think, if I recall correctly, the adventure, like, it's expected that you're kind of from this planet that's going to potentially get destroyed and something is happening. Potent- like, I, I forget. I think there's one of the problems I had with, with reading the adventure is there's so many different alternatives because they don't want to fully railroad it, but it's more of a railroad. Um, and so there's a lot of like, if this, then if they decide to do this then do that. So I can't remember if there was alternatives presented, but the idea through the adventure is that that world's going to get destroyed if they don't save it. Sorry, spoilers. Um, uh, so it's kind I mean, of expected what, that what you described is more or less the the synopsis of every adventure. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the expectation is that you have this connection to that planet. Um, uh, the hard part that I found, I think, in t- going back to that question of, of getting the weirdness, is there's not a lot of opportunities to right away explore. Like, there are opportunities, there aren't necessarily descriptions of how to do it. Explore things like, how does the physics actually work? Like, there's descriptions of the physics right. of how, but there's no, there's no, like, encounter or scene where you use that to really do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one area where DMs and other people might struggle trying to go into Spelljammer, which, by the way, just, I, I love the idea of Spelljammer. I have, I've been waiting for this. Uh, I've heard lots of things. My brother was a big uh, player, even starting back, I think, going back to first edition. So I, I know I've known about it, that it exists and stuff like that. But it was one area where I was struggling mm-hmm. as I was reading the adventure. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I can tell you from my experience is that it's because you're talking about magic in space travel and D&D in space travel – um, it's definitely not hard sci-fi, right? Uh, you, you have to sort of take a soft sci-fi approach to it and just sort of hand wave a lot of the physics yeah. um, and how and why things would work and, and just just sort of accept that they do and move on. I think, like, Discovery and Strange New Worlds totally got me ready for this uh, the scenario. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I think um, Honestly, though, I think Strange New Worlds, I think even if you go back to the original series, uh, uh, Next Generation, some of the more episodic, um, less serialized Star Treks um, are a really good touchstone for how to do a Spelljammer type story, you know? Well, and you can definitely do sort of... Um, campaigns are super easy to have players drop in and drop out if you're all members of the same crew. Mm. So if a player can't make it that week, that's fine. Like, you know, you can have a, a larger group of players who just sort of show up as they can. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, uh, uh, in addition wars, they, um, Brandis and Sam did a 
a really, really deep dive into one book. Like it was, I don't know, a dozen episodes, a dozen hour plus long episodes of diving into one, one PDF. Um, that's all about sort of old school West Marches style troop style play. Um, and it occurs to me like that is an old school style of, of playing D and D and Spelljammer was weird and kitschy and a little bit too modern for a lot of people back in second edition when it came out and it's still weird and kitschy and very modern. Um, and yet somehow the two things I think could mash up really well. Like you could do a pretty interesting sort of sci-fi West marches fantasy D and D, um, in Spelljammer. And, and, um, I think Brandis mentioned when we were talking about the Radiant Citadel uh, in that book a while back that that could be sort of a home base for that style play as well because it connects to all these different worlds and whatever. Um, and it occurs to me like, oh, they kind of missed an opportunity because the Radiant Citadel is floating around in the Astral Plane too, or the Astral Sea too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they, they could have alluded to the Radiant Citadel as being a location one could spell jam to. And they could have described in the Radiant Citadel places where, you know, there were docks or whatever for spell jammers to, to approach and dock. And, like, you could have had uh, some, some synergy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was also, just on the, the synergy thing real quick, too, I did notice that they pointed to the essentials set and the very first uh, Minds of Fandelver uh, box uh, starter set adventure, but they, because of timing, uh, they didn't reference the new starter set, which is out at Target, mm. which is another area where they could have... And I think that adventure might you like, might even be better as a starting point, or the Radiant mm. Citadel stuff. right? Like They could have pointed out, even in that area, that you could go through the X number of adventures, but I think it was purely a timing thing, and maybe not being right. sure that the product was out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could totally see a because um, Lost Minds of Fandelver finishes off at what third or fourth level? Third, I think. Third. So you could totally run Lost Minds of Fandelver and it, just add in in the mines. There is a half buried wreckage of an old spelljammer, and then they spend third, fourth level sort of rebuilding it and getting it seaworthy again and now mm-hmm. you've transitioned straight from Fandelver into into the Spelljammer adventure. Have it back in Wave Echo Cave there's the big like underground lake okay. and then they have to like dismantle it and bring it out piece by piece. Oh. And then they have to trans and then they they're like, "Oh, this is just a ship. They have to transport it out to the Sword Coast." Uh-huh. So that's a whole adventure and then when they get out there then you bring in the adventure. Right. And then they've already got a ship. Yep. And, we just, and then in, we just wrote a campaign for you guys. You're <laughs> welcome. And then in the new starter set, they have it's it's an a retreat island thing that you kind of go to. So it's definitely also an, an, a place for ships. And there's a whole underground cave complex that they don't uh, describe out fully in the adventure. It's left as an exercise for the the group. Um, so that's another area too, along like what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and then going back to your comment about the the more troop style or like having a lot of different players or characters available on the ship, that's also an important part of this potentially for depending on which ships you're using because you need these crew to... So they move to this ability to have these huge weapons, right, that only work at long range, but it needs crew members to run. Mm-hmm. I've been toying with um, 
sticking a little bit of Spelljammer. You know, I mentioned the the color pools in the Astral Sea um, that can, you know, that are really more hazards because they usually just pop up uh, unpredictably and, and steal you away and take you to different planes and whatever. Uh, and so you try to avoid them is how they've oftentimes been been described. But because of that, I'm now tempted to, I'm running Descent into Avernus and boy, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a stranded uh, uh, Mind Flayer Nautiloid uh, on the banks of the river sticks, you know, because mm. um, because like one of the really cool things about Descent into Avernus is running around in your infernal war machine all Mad Max style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the one time I've I've run it with my kids, the infernal war machine stuff actually kind of got a little bit tired um, after a while, um, because like okay now we get it and now I can't really you know now there's not now it's not really dangerous to run around in Avernus anymore because you can just outrun almost everything you run into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but wouldn't it be kind of cool to explain that as you know you get halfway through running around Avernus and you find this old mind flayer nautiloid and I do a little side a side adventure there and maybe they recover the nautiloid and now they're not running around in an infernal war machine they're flying around in this in this squid thing uh, around Avernus and that boy wouldn't that uh, uh, get the attention of, of flying demons and devils and the Sibriax floating around up there which kind of feels like it should be in, in flying around in space right so anyway, yeah. I'm just brainstorming as we're talking about Spelljammer. I'm brainstorming. Well, I've, got, right I've now. now got ideas for this campaign of yours. Oh, yeah? Ooh. <laughs> well, the only way to get it running again is that you have to, like, bind a demon and have it possess the Nautiloid. And now you're flying around in a Nautiloid ship that is, like, flames pouring behind mm-hmm. it. And now it's even more metal. It's, it's, now it's a Nautiloid uh, uh, infernal war machine. Exactly. With, yeah. With, with the consciousness of a demon sort of tied to the as the AI for the the thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to. It's not just a matter of steering the ship around. You sort of have to to beat the AI into 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 you know uh, submission to get it to do what you want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. And this is the kind of fun stuff you can do in your in your normal games by squeezing a little spelljammer into it. Um, was there anything else in the Astral Adventures guide that you wanted to talk about? Because we're what forty? Yeah, 30, we're thirty five minutes into our conversation, and uh, we're just sort of all over the place. Well, they've got a hey. bunch of interesting uh, races in there. I really like the plasmoids. Mm-hmm. The ooze creatures that can, like, you're an ooze, so you can squeeze into anything, um, and you can turn in. You apparently turn into a puddle at night. So now I'm imagining an Odo type situation. Oh. Um, but I, in yeah, I thought those were really cool. Yeah. And then they, um, they mate by basically like the two oozes sort of intermingle with one another, and then. When they separate, one of the oozes splits into two, and so you're basically just like duplicating yourself. Uh-huh. Um, so I really like that. And then there's a lot of ships listed. There's 16 ships listed yes. in here, so there's no no shortage of ships, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and actually, uh, so going back to the second edition stuff that I was comparing to, um, I had 
the second edition version of almost, access to information about the second edition version of almost every single ship. I think there was one that I ran into, uh, the the gift bombard, um, that I didn't have, but I was told by people like Dan Dillon on Twitter that that was one that actually existed. It was just in a book I didn't own. Mm. Um, but the one thing I did have is there was actually uh, like a, it was a very human looking ship, like uh, that you know, but that had lots of you know one of the old school ships that have like. Know, dozens of cannon uh, cannons on each side and whatever um, that because the in the second edition version they would describe who flies around in these ships but also who actually built them because they're not they're not always the same and mm-hmm. in that case it was a human built ship which is why it looks like a standard sort of um, you know age of exploration sailing ship um, but it was pretty exclusively sailed by the gif so the GIF were buying their ships from humans, um, but they wanted the one with all the cannons on it. So, <laughs> so yeah. You know. uh, so I just assumed that they they had sort of done away with them buying the the human ships and and changed it to the bomber. But it turned out that was actually its own thing. So yeah, there were there were more ships, and there were. I mean, I think that was the big thing, right? You know how, um, you know how in in, in third edition every book had to have uh, a bunch of new feats and a handful of prestige classes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the impression I got from second edition Spelljammer was every new Spelljammer product had to have about a dozen new ships in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were just a, a ton of different ships back then. I think they did a nice job of sort of selecting, of you know, but that way you could have a, an armada of like instead of just one. Um, Instead of just having one type of ship for that that the astral elves fly around in, mm-hmm. it would be here's dozens that you might run into in their armada sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you can do a lot of stuff with what's here. Um, if you really want to do D and D Star Trek, uh, and you know using Spelljammer, you might want to tweak some things and add some more and whatever as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the uh, the living ship that has a treant like attached to it. I thought that was just a really cool, like visual concept. Um, and it can fling stones and stuff. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> and if it dies, the ship can't be moved at all anymore. You can't attach a new spell jamming helm to it at all. It's stuck. And if the ship ends up destroyed, then it kills the, um, the tree, the tree. Yeah. Yeah. No, all the ships are really cool, and they're they're easy, right? I mean, it's usually like two pages, mm-hmm. and half of it's like a map of of the layout of what these ships look like, and then a little bit of lore and some mechanics for each ship, um, and that kind of stuff, right? Um, which is kind of how the second edition. I mean, the second edition it was one one page, right? And one side was the art, and the other side had the map and and some stats mm-hmm. and stuff on it. Um, you know, but that means that they can squeeze a lot of different ships in and they're evocative and, and, you know, you get, but you get, I don't know, my, my brain back then, my creativity back in the day, like was really stuck on the, the ships, right? That's the really inspirational part, right? Looking, look at the art, look at the maps, look at, you know, but you get, you get a little bit of lore, but you don't get hung up on pages and pages and pages on each ship. So you can have Mm -hmm. a bunch of them. Um. Yeah, the only thing I found about the ships was there wasn't a lot of um, direction on, I think, on how to read 
the mm. the stat of it. So some of the stuff had dashes where, um, like it's just not applicable or something like that. But I wasn't clear right away for me mm-hmm. what it would mean. Uh, like I kind of guessed that over time looking at stuff. But I guess it would have been helpful to understand that a little bit more. But maybe there's somewhere else outside the book that they're expecting people to be able to see that. Yeah, because I don't think there's any ships in the DMG at all. But the there's sh- tons of ship rules in the Ghost of Saltmarsh. Um, and I didn't go back and like look through that book to to see more, but I think it it's got much more robust like um, like uh, ship combat rules and stuff like that than than this does. And you think they, you think they would translate well? What's that? You think they would translate well to sh- the ships I mean, now, feel, now flying around in space? I feel like it, unless you start wanting to get super technical and start using three D rules for like ships higher and lower mm-hmm. but like if i was running it i'd just run it you know parallel ships to one another and it was hard for me to understand sometimes like why a bad the the ram uh part wouldn't have necessarily because i think it was a ram that didn't have its own hit points like it was basically the ship's hit points was it and that didn't necessarily feel right given so much other stuff had its own so many other features of ships had their own separate hit points out um and i wasn't entirely sure how to run the crew like it says you need X number of crew and I was it was unclear if it just meant you really needed what it really was was you needed that many actions potentially over several rounds to get the job done or if you had to have all those people there yeah. in one round. Yeah, it probably would have been nice to have more mechanics on that. They they really so I think because they squeezed three books with three different purposes into one box set, um they're really thin books. Uh and yeah. so they squeeze a lot like- into them but I felt like we could have used two bigger books and um, sh- like basically made the adventure a lot shorter. So it took up like the end of, of one of like the book that had the monsters in it and the more DM oriented stuff. I just feel like we lost out on a lot of more stuff explaining the Spelljammer setting by having a bunch of small books. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't disagree. I generally am of the opinion that most of the products would be better if there was more of them, which is is um, it's a good complaint to have, I guess. It means that what's there is compelling enough that I want more. Um, I and it'll be a great op- opportunity for folks on DMs Guild to come right. up with additional stuff and see what floats to the top. I don't know that I feel like the at least for what we have. I don't know that the the menagerie, the the book of monsters, needs to necessarily be have more. I think it's a pretty no. I think that was a good amount of monsters. I think yeah, it's a pretty good taste, and then we have lots of other places to pull monsters from. I'm not worried about having enough weird monsters to pull in. Um, we could we could have used more from the adventure astral adventures guide. I mean, you could have done a book of just ship combat and ships. And then mm-hmm. that would have dedicated more space from this book. Because I looked, it was only 60-some pages. Um, and so that gives you a sense of how thin they are. Um, so you, it wouldn't have been a horrible thing if there was one sort of setting lore book and one that was just sort of ship combat and ships. Uh, mm-hmm. That would have been cool. Um, I don't know that I like the idea of less adventure. Um, almost always with settings, one of my biggest things is I always want more adventure because... Whether I really grok the lore or not from the lore books, having an adventure to read through 
is the number one way after all these years that I come to understand what a setting is about uh, and what kind of stories can be told there. Even if I'm not going to run that adventure, um, you know, I want adventures in that setting so that I can start to wrap my head around what are the kinds of stories I can tell in this setting. Um, so if anything, I think it could have been add the, the the other book and then separate the adventure into its own separate product I think would you know and make it an even bigger adventure I think would have been fine or do a collection of of adventures sort of a, an anthology of three or three or four adventures that may or may not over you know whatever it is right I think there there are ways I, I would have loved to get more adventure and not less and I guess one question I have is do you think this adventure gave you a really good feel for how Spelljammer might be at your table? I think it gives a pretty good, um, again, for what little I've skimmed through, uh, I think it gives a pretty good um, sense of a way that one can introduce Spelljammer, right? I think once you run this adventure, now you can't put that genie back in in the bottle, right? Um, your heroes know that Spelljammer is out there and they they wrapped up and they're only, what, what was it, level 7 or something they wrap up at? Mm, it's not super yeah, it's long. not it's super eight. high. So it's 5 to 8. Um, so now you've got 12 more levels of just, okay, well, we know Spelljammer is out there. We saved our planet. I bet there's other planets out there that need saving. Let's let's keep Spelljamming, right? Because once you sort of have a Spelljammer at your, your beck and call... I, once I've run this adventure, I feel like my my heroes, my players, want to are going to want to continue to explore and do more Spelljammer. Did that answer your question, or did I just talk around it? It's okay. It's it's yeah. it's like impressions. I didn't get that. Like, I didn't feel that same way reading through the adventure that it would help with Spelljammer. This idea of like that we keep talking about, that it's kind yeah. of fun and irreverent oh. and things like that, um, because it is kind of railroady if even if they fail something comes along and brings them to the next point in their journey for mm-hmm. the most part uh, which are actually are the great places for them to see some of this like it's kind of weird because that's where you can sometimes see like the the space whales and things like that mm-hmm. that it's just like they you if you succeed you just miss on that um which i think was something i was struggling as i was reading through it yeah. i only read about a little over half of it deeply and then i skimmed the rest of it right. and deeply isn't deeply deeply but like i well, actually read every word on the page and, and it's also um you you you've read more of it deeply than i have so correct me if i'm wrong but it also feels like a big story with high stakes um and that's not you know when when i don't know in many ways the the feel of Spelljammer to me is a little bit similar to the feel of Firefly. Um, you know, there are stakes out there in the world, but on on a adventure by adventure basis or episode by episode basis, it's sort of light and funny and fun uh, and what have you. And there are those creatures like the what are they, like the Reavers in Firefly. There there are the the nautiloids and the beholders and the neoji that are sort of the reavers of the spelljammer setting. So there are these larger threats out there. Um, but that doesn't feel like what the focus of 
my Spelljammer campaign for on a session by session basis looks like, you know. But this one kind of makes the astral elves sort of the this big empire large threat thing, right? Yeah, and you start off in Pompeii, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these these Met- uh, metaphorical uh, Pompeii. Yeah. 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 But but it's a civilization ending. Uh, event that's happening you happen to be able to be whisked away and now you have an opportunity to save pompeii or its version i'm not entirely sure how to write the adventure of um you got kidnapped by a bunch of neoji and uh, or you know enslaved by a bunch of neoji and somebody rescued you and set you free and now you're just surviving out in space sort of story (laughs) you know i don't know how to write that as a published adventure right and and part of me when I was reading it, it was like, man, I really wish we could have taken more from the Radiant Citadel in terms of like particularly that opening one in the market and that type of mm-hmm. thing feels like it would fit really well into Spelljammer and then just find an arc that goes through it. You could still railroad it if like to, to get them through to get that story told, which I think is, is kind of what they're doing here. But at least then we'd have these like little vignettes and more like episodic, like you're saying. What if and maybe it kind of works this way, but what if the Radiant Citadel doesn't send you to worlds on different planes, but those portals are like stargates and they just send you to nearby worlds? So all the worlds right. are, the, the, connected to the Radiant Citadel are close by. They're all sort of in the same system orbiting around the Radiant Citadel or whatever. And maybe it was first found by uh, people who spell jam to it or whatever. You could You could kind of, instead of, you could kind of do Radiant Citadel you could almost do it without the gems at all and just, hey, there's stuff going on in this world. Get in the spell jammer and go, you know? Um, right. There's things yeah, you could do. Idea. I, I, you know, obviously they didn't make those recommendations and that's not the adventures that they're telling uh, in this adventure and, and that's what you're commenting on and I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I liked I liked a lot of it. It just was like those areas where it's like, man, I, if we just tweaked this a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, and brought the the stuff that you know everyone that I know that's played for a long time has told me about Spelljammer even more, like mm-hmm. th- that irreverence and the ability to have the cantina scenes. Like there are some in this, so I don't want to say there's not, uh, but really highlight them and highlight the gravity and the way the physics works uh, and stuff like that. Because yeah. sometimes there's so much given about like how long the air lasts and how much food, how many medium <laughs> creatures a ship has. Right. And I'm, but nothing really to tell you how to manage that or, or maintain it or how to make that important to your characters other than, you know, as a resource game where you're just ticking off things that got used. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think, think that's something I, that... I think if I ran this adventure, I would um, I would introduce... I, I, would, I would steal from, like, the Hitchhiker's Guide. Right. In, instead, yeah. instead of the Vogans showing up, it would be the GIF show up on your planet to extract some resources before the astral elves are going to come and destroy. You know, so um, you know, uh, and, yeah. and that and that's how you find out that they're spell jammers because these giant hippo people got off of their flying ship uh, and they want to take all your valuables. Yeah. <laughs> and then, if I if I could change the topic, I do have another question. Yeah. How do we feel about all the? Dark Sun creatures in. I was going to ask about mm. that too. Mm. 
There is one of the new playable races is Thrycreen. Um, mm-hmm. and there and yeah, so and that thematically fits, right? Like they're very weird. Are, is is the no, no absolutely and. I, and I don't remember if Thrycreen were introduced as significant things in Spelljammer back in 2nd edition or not, or if that was just something that my group of friends did because it kind of made sense thematically. Yeah, because they are sort of, you know, bug aliens. Well, and the the whole idea is that, like, you can travel around to other planets. There's no reason Thrycreen couldn't be out there, you know, Um, just like anything else. Um and that was our, you know, Spelljammer and Planescape. These were the settings that gave us an excuse to mash up things from different settings, right? Um, so I don't remember if that was a thing. I do know that. So they feature the Gith Yan- Yankee and the Gith Zerai in um, Spelljammer here, and I was, I did not remember. This was Twitter informed me as well when I was discussing it. Um, I did not remember the Gith Yankee and the Gith Zerai being a big deal in second edition spell jammer i'm told that there were products where wherein they were um i thought maybe they were getting new um attention because of the addition of the astral seed to the whole thing instead of the phlogiston um but dark sun has a connection to that too because there are these sort of primordial you know the ur gith yankee gith zarai running around in in on athos which is the planet of, of dark sun um called just the gith Right, um, presumably the progenitors that were originally kidnapped by the the mind flayers that then later became the Gith Sarai and the Gith Yankee. Uh, so there's a there's a Gith astral sea uh, 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 spell jammer connection to Dark Sun even through there as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I I don't know that they are planning to put out Dark Sun. But it feels a little bit like they're testing the waters. Kind of like they do with Spelljammer. Kind of like they did with Spelljammer. And honestly, like they've been doing since the first products with Planescape, they've just never pulled the trigger on Planescape. Which, in my opinion, is more D&D than than traditional Spelljammer is. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the conversations have been interesting because some of it's like, are they planting seeds for another one? And then other people are... Are like, well, we're just never going to see Dark Sun because of some of the themes that are attached to that setting, and they'll never do that in Fifth Edition. So this is the best we're ever going to get, and at least now we can, you know, blah blah blah, <laughs> write write some adventures with these, but it can't be Dark Sun still because reasons. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you can't do Dark Sun in Fifth Edition. I think you can do Dark Sun in Fifth Edition, and I think you can evolve the setting beyond the the bits that are particularly problematic um you know because because they've done it right they've taken other settings that had problematic bits and they've worked on trying to do better but still doing those settings you know i i think the slavery one is the one that's really hard to sure to to get past Mm -hmm. yep yeah (laughs) definitely i don't disagree i'm but i don't know that i'm saying it can't be done no, no, yeah. I think you need to bring in the right team and get the right idea. Um, but I think you could do Dark Sun. I think mm-hmm. you could do Dark Sun. And and maybe that's where they're... And so, I don't know. It could go either way. 
All right, I'm not convinced. I I was convinced for a very long time that we were going to get Planescape because it felt like they were they'd been building to it since day one. Um, now I'm not convinced that's ever going to happen. I'm not convinced. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, even that new starter set, a lot of the art feels evocative of Planescape to me. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it's, it's more that um, sketchy, uh, mm-hmm. thin style for some of the characters. Yeah, Tony Dieterlizzi did, made famous yeah. Yeah. in Planescape, yeah. I mean, and honestly, I've run two different Planescape campaigns without ever actually calling it Planescape and without me ever actually having cracked open the Planescape book. Yeah. Um, in fifth edition, so like hopping between worlds and spending lots of time in sigil and stuff like that. So like for me, I'm like, yeah, it'd be great to see a little bit more detail on, like, on the on the planes with Planescape. Right. But it's not one that I'm like well, clamoring for. I'm like, ah, I've already done it. Like right. I know how. To, I know we can do it. Getting different books of various planes is one thing that's kind of cool that that it doesn't seem to be in the publishing plans for the way they're doing things in fifth edition, right? Because they're not putting out books of just here's a bunch of here's a plane typically. Mm. They're doing you know, they're doing um Curse of Strahd in order to explore the Shadowfell and they're doing uh, uh Descent into Avernus to talk a little bit about hell. Um that's different than just having here's a splat book about the nine hells or whatever. Um, and honestly, it's probably better to do it as an adventure, if I'm being honest. But I also like I like the the planescape. Like you can you can just insert sigil and you can travel different planes. And there's plenty of old lore and a lot of it's available through DMs Guild. You can get the old books and and get all the sort of background lore for this plane or that plane or whatever. Um, so you can do it if you're willing to spend a little money or do a little work. Um, what really could use, I think, an update to 5th edition is is the factions and the way if you change belief, you can change the actual sort of reality and physics of the world or of the planes mm-hmm. that I think um, is not as naturally and inherently and easy to just rip out old lore and do in fifth edition. That's where I think they could do some interesting things and some interesting work. But that now we're, we're well, uh, far afield of the topic. Of right. episode. So um, um, have, go ahead, Tracy. I did have one more thought about the adventure. Yeah. Um, I hope they come up with a way of visually representing some of this uh, stuff particularly if they're going to have adventures that have this many um, potential paths. Um, Because I can read it, but to try to remember it later and remember where we are in the story arc and what happens when gets, gets hard again. Kind of like some of the begin the first adventures that came out for uh, fifth edition. Yeah. Yeah. the, The good news is like, there's some cool stuff here. It's a little thin, a lot of the pieces, I think, you know, we talked about ship combat needing a little bit more. You're talking about the adventure. It'd be nice if there was a little bit more, some aid or whatever, but they can only squeeze so much into these little 60 right, yeah. books. Mm-hmm. But the good news is because they've published it now, I, I believe they've also made it available for people to publish on DMs Guild about. And if you can find good products on DMs Guild, you can fill a lot of those gaps. Um, that's where... 
I think the the players can get a lot of what they want out of these things if it's just not quite there, right? My my again, my issue with a lot of things is there's just not enough, right? Because they don't do lines of things anymore. They don't do pick Spelljammer and then do a whole line of Spelljammer like they did back in second edition. Um, they just do one Spelljammer product and they move on, um, which I think is fine. But if I really want to do a Spelljammer campaign, it's not enough. Yeah. But there are people yeah. publishing those, and I will happily throw them, you know, five bucks or, or whatever, um, if it's going to help me make my Spelljammer campaign work. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad to hear you say that, Jeff, because that's kind of where I was feeling too. And actually, I was excited to potentially, you know, see can I actually create something now that I have mm-hmm. hopefully slightly more time than I've had in the past few years, mm-hmm. because I think it's needed. And it's like, I'm happy to have the book. So I feel bad. Like, I know we're supposed to give our opinions, our honest opinions and stuff, but that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, this is a really good um, jumping off point, but. I'm going to need more yeah. <laughs> in order to, to actually do stuff well and, yes. and to, I think, bring and, it through. And since we're speaking about it, like, not to toot my own horn, but I do have three products over on DMs Guild for Spelljammer that I brought out on Tuesday. Nice. Um, that are all in the, the top 12 um, best-selling under five because they're all 99-cent things. So I've got three new ships. I've got... Um, a little bar that's floating on an asteroid that's made out of a crystal. And then I also have the College of Astral Rock, which allows you to be a uh, rock star um, oh, I, flying I, through space. I saw that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, there is lots of different great stuff out there right now on DMs Guild. People just started cranking out stuff for Spelljammer, yeah. probably because... Well, right. They It is a little sparse on being able to run stuff. Well, and and... That's where um, it's always a little bit. I don't know. I, I don't want to speak too too harshly because I haven't read your stuff, Mark. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's where I I hesitate. A lot of things that come out right away when a thing has come out, it's yeah. like okay, but like, how well do we know how much this actually fits and works with the setting mm-hmm. as it's being published and what have you. Uh, I tend to find, you know, give it, give it a year and you'll get some really well-developed stuff. I know. And I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people are play testers and so they may have gotten an early look at some things. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's where their inspiration or, or, you know, their know-how came from for publishing some stuff early on came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think there's going to be some good stuff out there. I think, no, I've I've had uh, an idea for a campaign, like a one to twenty campaign, floating in my head for about fifteen twenty years now, that I finally started putting an outline together for that actually would fit really well with Spelljammer, but it's n- not even a finished outline at this point, so never mind. Yeah. So I have a quick question yeah. about the School of Rock, uh, the Rock one. Is it all secular music? Because we need to know whether or not the vampires can hear it. Oh no, you can totally be a Christian rocker if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the vampires will definitely be upset. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, like one of the I don't powers know if I get that, that reference, can... but okay. <laughs> oh, it's uh, what you, what we do in the shadows. Oh, I, I've watched like is that. What you were referencing? I haven't. I, I think in the adventure, uh, there's uh, a bunch of uh, rules if you join the vampires for a little bit, and one of them oh. is that there's no hymns because they. I think it was them. They they didn't. Oh yeah. They yeah. Didn't, it has to all be secular. There's no only secular music on there. On there. Yeah. Interesting. The so bards can't sing anything that's not secular. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it has things like you can cause a spontaneous mosh pit of like taking a certain area and making them all collide into each other. You can uh, provoke, you can make it so you don't provoke opportunity attacks as long as there's space between the enemy's head and the ceiling as they crowd surf you across them. Now, now, (laughs) I don't know what the, uh, the, the sort of genre theme that you were going for, but I feel like if if Avernus is sort of apocalyptic metal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I feel like Spelljammer is like hair metal glam rock. Is that sort of what well, you're going I for? Des- well, I described that the the typical college of um of astral rock bard's ship has a wizard painted on the side of the ship. Nice. So yeah, it's very much the glam rock. The glam rock, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that fits the Spelljammer theme. Has has anybody I um they've been talking lately about spell jams, like they put together a playlist or whatever? Yeah. Has anybody yeah, there's, um, listened to that? There's a bunch of like there's a bunch of different places, but what I saw it was on um Spotify. They have a a playlist and it's like twenty songs. Um Well and, and I, I thought I saw they were selling selling vinyl. Yeah, um, there's going to be a well. the vinyl of it too. Which, which that doesn't do anything for me. I don't have a record player. Yeah, no. Um, but I wouldn't hate if it's not if it's good. I wouldn't hate buying the the playlist. It's yeah, I listened to some of it. Some of the songs were a little bit grating and not weren't really my okay. I jam, but there was some there was some other really good stuff. Um, apparently, it was all curated by Chris Funk from the Decemberists. Okay. And like one of the tracks is Reggie Watts. Like they got, yeah, that's they get uh, nobody for Gr- it. Grendel in the chat just mentioned that the Reggie Watts Reggie Watts song is great. It's called yeah, Spaces yeah. Spaces a Place. Yes, and it be, he begins by like acting like a DM. He likes he's like describing the situation you're in and stuff oh. before the music. It's great. Okay, I'll I'll have to check it out. All right. Any other last thoughts? We've been talking for over an hour now. So any other last thoughts on uh, Spelljammer uh, Adventures in Space? I always forget the Adventures in Space, even though I was really impressed because that was the tagline for the old second edition uh, series as well. So, mm. um, Do you want to talk quickly about the fact there is a DM screen? We didn't really talk I about that just, much. I was, just, I was just sort of opening up. <laughs> um, I, it's interesting. I don't... It's sort of a, this beautiful, cohesive piece of art on the outside of a Neoji ship and a space whale. Um, mm-hmm. It's beautiful, but it doesn't like evoke the weird eccentricities of Spelljammer very much to me. You know? Yeah, it's not weird. It's more like beautiful, which yeah. like which, uh, for me, like I don't do weird stuff in my games. I do more like awe-inspiring stuff when I'm running. So, like, for me, it works, but, like, I totally understand, like, if you're gonna be, like, trying to feature killer clowns and stuff, it doesn't really show that off. Yeah. It does have some good uh, ship encounters tables, um, which I thought was nice. Uh-huh. Shipboard tasks and yeah. quirk cargo. The, the, the chore list. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just tons of different encounters. I don't know that it needed to explain, like, have the little map of the astral plane, because I feel like once you've seen it, you don't really need to re-reference it, because it's just... Yeah. yeah. Do we well, need a... And, and that's... The, I mean, and the astral plane is 
an infinite plane as well. So you're yeah, only getting yeah. a snapshot of it anyway. So yeah, you're getting an example of like, oh yeah, there's these little pockets of wild space and there's dead gods and there's these godly domains. Okay, I get it. But why? I don't need a map of it because you're not going to follow the map <laughs> to get from place yeah, to place. Yeah, so. Exactly. Among Us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some uh, of your players aren't, aren't, aren't there for the game. Just have... Just pretend that you're Among Us now. Exactly, yeah. They got ejected from the from the ship. <laughs> I did like the lunar and solar dragons in the um, monster manual just because it's mm-hmm. more dragons. Like, you don't have to use them for spell jammer. You can throw a solar dragon in there to really throw your players off when you're doing Here, your standard D&D game. Here's the thing for me, though. This um, DM screen is full of useful things for playing Spelljammer. But it, it, any DM screen that does not have all of the status effects in them is not mm-hmm. useful for me as a general playing D&D DM screen. Yeah, um, yeah. Because that is the number one thing I look at on my DM screen is the status effects. Um, mm-hmm. and so if it's not there, it's going to be like, well, he, that's a thing I can pull out and use when I'm playing Spelljammer. And that and it has all kinds of interesting and useful things in it. But I'm still going to have to have that, that status, a, a page of the statuses sitting out somewhere so I can reference it. Because it comes up more than anything else. Yeah. All right. Other last thoughts? I had a in, in my script. I had a, a nice sort of organized way to sort of talk about things, and we just sort of uh, ram- rambled <laughs> for for fifty minutes, so, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. I don't got nothing else. We we got to th- we got to one of my questions. What is Spelljammer? And then yeah. ne- I never I asked think, any of the others. I think that it's a good introduction to Spelljammer, but like I feel like they need to release like another book that's like a more complete like guide to the setting yeah alongside it you know like great you've got a book that's monsters so you can just easily reference that great you've got a book that's just for players for their options and now you've got an adventure but i feel like well and one of the setting book one of the things that kind of made Spelljammer work in second edition was it was one of the as I recall it was one of the later settings so there was already like we already had Kryn and Toril and Athos and uh, you know all these other planets out there uh, and this was a way to sort of connect them so you didn't have to necessarily come up with what 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 are what kind of other places could we go to because we already had some stuff right yeah yeah um, we don't have that in fifth edition because we've basically only played on one planet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause every other place we've, we've played is another plane. Um, in terms of planets, it's just been Toril. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so it may not have been a horrible thing to have just sort of a chapter on here's the, you know, just some advice on here's some things you can do to make a new planet. Right. Some advice mm-hmm. on, or some tables to sort of, hey, combine some traits, and then that's the kind of place you could go to, and you fill in mm-hmm. the, the gaps. Um, you know, you do, I don't need them to detail all of the infinite possible planets to visit. Um, you know, um, but it'd be nice to well, sort of know how to, how to think about that. And another thing that gets interesting about Spelljammer is so, like this adventure, you haven't the characters haven't necessarily been into uh, wild space before, right? But you could also run a whole campaign where people just live in wild space, yeah. 
and that becomes more interesting in how you prepare your uh, players because yeah. the one like in the adventure, sure, they don't have to have ever seen um, all these creatures before or know any of them. Um, but you might want to have a booklet for the uh, players that are going to do the other type of campaign where they just live in wild space all the time. So this is all old hat to them. It's kind of like the Doctor Who companion versus Doctor Who. Right. Yeah. And I even thought because they so they have this <laughs> setting. Uh, the the rock of brawl which is actually a setting that was introduced in in the second edition spelljammer as well um and the rock of brawl is sort of this this asteroid floating around in space and they built sort of a little civilization on it right um you could totally i had the idea you could totally just have a campaign of people from the rock of brawl that that for whatever reason they grew up there on the rock and they've come together you know down on their luck or or whatever uh has pushed them all together but Crazy things happen on the Rock of Brawl, and after a level or two, oops, we kind of won the deed to this Spelljammer. Now how are we going to make this work, you know? Um, right. So that could be a whole other kind of campaign of people who, you know, have been have been in, in the setting for a while and are, you know, GIF aren't outlandish creatures to them. Um, That's know. Bob next door. Right. <laughs> so... Absolutely. All right. I think that is where we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. We'd like to say thank you to our listeners who support us by becoming patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. This is James Delicio, Hyperlexic, Jill Sanders, Leonard Peltier, Doug Palmer, Michael Harrison, and Jonathan Vitamuthu. Uh, I'd also like to thank our guests, or guest, Mark. <laughs> Of course, thank uh, if, you. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email me uh, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Tra- uh, Tracy is at Sarah Dark Magic, Sarah with an H. Uh, and Mark is at Mark Meredith, um, the most second famous Mark Meredith on Twitter, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, you can also find the show. We have uh, a Facebook and a Discord and... and the things so you can come and hang out with us in those places and that's our surprise round episode where we travel to new worlds experience new ways of doing gravity uh, and met a whole cast of new creatures by flying ships through wild space as we discuss spelljammer adventures in space in this episode of I'm off the wall.